0: The year was 2010. General Stanley McChrystal, you may remember that name, the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan, decided he'd had enough. He was going to take matters into his own hands. So he made it quite evident in a Rolling Stones article published this, well, several, I guess it was the summer of 2010. It was entitled The Runaway General underscored by this tag. Stanley McChrystal, Obama's top commander in Afghanistan, has seized control of the war by never taking his eye off the real enemy, the wimps in the White House. In the article, he said President Obama was uncomfortable, intimidated, and in, in top-level Pentagon meetings. He called me with Obama as impersonal photo ops in which the president didn't know who he was. He mocked Vice President Joe Biden as well. He called the U.S. National Security Advisor, Jim Jones, a clown. He belittled U.S. Special Representative to Afghanistan, Richard Holbrook, as well as a few members of Congress. In the uproad that followed in the news, the retired Medal of Honor, Colonel Jack Jacobs, went on record saying... The substance of McChrystal's interview is seen by most in the military as right, but agree that he was out of line. McChrystal decided to take the situation in his own hands, to become impatient. He felt like he knew what needed to happen, and he ignored proper protocol or process, and he decided to just let it all go in this Rolling Stones magazine. Now you recall what happened. He was let go. But it's so easy to be critical, isn't it? You see something that's not being done right and you're going to fix it. You know how it needs to be done. The Bible's clear. And you are confident because everyone around you that you've talked to agrees. And you're convicted and convinced it will honor God, and you know the final outcome is in alignment with God's will, but the question this morning I want to ask is, is it according to God's timing? Is timing important? Because if we're not careful, we can find be found doing God's will my way on my timetable, which is where I Bend and push and pull strings. I connive and manipulate to accomplish God's purposes. Have you ever fallen into that trap? Perhaps there's a job. You'd be perfect for it. It's your dream job. God has led in so many ways to give it to you, yet it's not happening, and you get impatient. So you begin to take matters into your own hands. Perhaps you're single. You know you're not called to live a life of celibacy, and you know that the time is passing and prospects are narrowing, and you're getting lonely. So you begin to take matters into your own hands. Perhaps you feel called to ministry. You feel your entire life has gifted you for it. You know God wants you to serve Him in some way, but God has not opened the door yet. And so you become impatient. You begin to take matters into your own hands. Whatever it is, you're impatient. You know this is what God wants for you, but you're tired of waiting. So you start manipulating, pulling strings. You begin to push, to compromise, to make, and finally you get what you've wanted. You make your choice. And then you suddenly rediscover God and pray, oh Lord, please bless in this job. Bless this marriage, bless this ministry, bless my decision. Make it strong and great because as you have led me, I'm moving forward today. Do we ever pray those prayers? As I'm moving forward today. You've led me, I know you've led me to push and connive. You take matters into your own hands. God's will, my way. That's how we like it. Abraham was promised a son. But he grew impatient, didn't he? And he took matters into his own hands. So he took a servant, Hagar, and they had a son, Ishmael. God's will, my way. Jacob. God promised him the birthright. But he, too, grew impatient and took matters into his own hands, and he tricked his brother Esau. He lied to his father Isaac. He manipulated. He pulled strings. He compromised God's will, my way. And today I want to look at a story in Exodus chapter 2 of Moses. You may remember Moses was born under persecution, and after three months, they say, we just can't take it anymore, and so they build this ark of salvation. You study the word for this little thing that they created. It's ark provided, and God miraculously moves, and his mother is paid. You remember, he's found, and and now not only is he delivered, but he's The mother is paid, the family is paid to raise Moses. And Spirit of Prophecy tells us until he was about 12 years old, he was raised by his mother. Talk about an incredible responsibility. Now, don't get me wrong. All mothers have an incredible responsibility. But how would you like the pressure that at 12 years of age, your child will be taken from you and thrust into a very worldly situation? a very royal situation. Incredible responsibility of this mother. The young mother, this young mother holds the destiny of this child in her hands. She is sowing seeds, making impressions on his developing mind that will remain with him for life. No, these moments are priceless. Let me read a quote to you from Adventist Home, 231, in reference to mothers. The king upon his throne has no higher work than has the mother. Do you believe that? The mother is queen of her household. She has in her power the molding of her children's characters, that they may be fitted for the higher immortal life. An angel could not ask for a higher mission, for in doing this work, she is doing service for God. Let her only realize the high character of her task, and it will inspire with her courage. Let her realize the worth of her work and put on the whole armor of God that she may resist the temptation to conform to the world standard. Her work is for time and for eternity." We might have some stay-at-home mothers here. What do you do for a living? Don't ever say, I just stay at home. I form characters for eternity. Right? Kings take a back seat. Angels take a back seat. I've been entrusted with this little life, this little character. If that doesn't put you on your knees. And some of you can't be a stay-at-home mom. That's not an option for you, perhaps. But you still have a tremendous role to play. So Spirit of Prophecy also tells us that an angel instructed Moses that God had chosen him to break the bondage of his people. How would you like that pressure? As a young man? I don't know what age, eight, ten. 12, maybe, you're the one, Moses. But I imagine Moses has his own assumptions of what that may look like. How may I deliver these people? What kind of conquests? What will it look like? And so at the age of 12, his world drastically changes. And in fact, the historian Josephus tells us because Pharaoh had no son or heir, Moses is being groomed for the throne. Now he has Egyptian tutors. He's schooled in the arts and sciences of medicine and astronomy, chemistry, philosophy, law, in Egyptian language, culture, protocol, receiving the highest civil and military training. The best of the best. We're talking Ivy League schools, head of his class. That's Moses. And I may have led you astray. We're going to come back to Exodus 2, but I want to look at what we find in Acts first. So put your finger there and turn with me to Acts chapter 7, if you have your Bibles this morning. Acts chapter 7, beginning verse 22. Acts chapter 7. Verse 22, this is Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. And it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Notice the language. He decided. It came into his heart. He went to his defense. And then verse 25. For he supposed, or your Bible might read, Moses thought That his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. I imagine by the age of 40, he's wondering God, when? What are you waiting for? I've graduated, I've got some experience. Why not now? We find the same or similar account in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Now when it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, we just read he was 40 years old, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, so he looked this way, And that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. He was their deliverer. He thought they'd understand. Why shouldn't they rally around him? And glancing this way and that way, he sees now is my chance. This is my golden opportunity. But notice what it doesn't say. He looks right and he looks left, but he never looks up. Growing impatient and and antsy and anxious, he knows God has called him. He knows he will deliver them, but when? And so in this moment, he decides to take matters into his own hands. We have no directive of God. This is what I want you to do. This is my plan. He decides in his heart is what he's going to do at this time. And he slays the Egyptians. Just like you and me all too often, Moses sees the open door, and he starts elbowing through. And instead of looking left or right for our perfect opportunity, shouldn't we look up and ask for wisdom, ask for God's direction, His guidance, His timing? Because timing is so critical, is it not? But Moses rushes in. He imposes his way, and now he's frantically digging in the sand to cover up the evidence. Invariably, when you act in the flesh, you always have something to cover up. Is it true? To hide a contact you made to manipulate the plan. To conceal a half-truth. To cover up the corpse of your doing. But friend, in time, the sand always reveals its secrets. And by and by, you've got a mess on your hands. We pick up the story in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 2. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion?" Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I don't think this was in the script of God's plan. And in his mind, the Hebrews should have been grateful. They should have been rallying behind him for their liberation. But instead, who made you ruler and judge over us? What a crushing put down. Hey, pretty boy, back off. Who died and left you in charge? You're not our leader. Who do you think you are anyway? And these words must have stung a man who had just risked everything. And we know how Moses feels because we've all been there in some way, shape, or form. You get ready to pull off something big for God. You set goals. You spend time and money. You tell a bunch of people. But the reality is, if those goals are your goals and not God's goals... If the process was not bathed in prayer and brought in humility before God, and if God does not direct us to move forward, to go ahead, it will turn out to be downright useless. It won't go anywhere, it won't accomplish anything. It will generate heat but no light. That kind of thing will set you back on your heels, and honestly, it should. To be humbled, to stop, to reflect, to be quiet, to be still and know that he is God. To fall to your knees and ask, Lord, are you in this? Or is this just my great idea? Because the reality is, when God is in it, it flows. But when the flesh is in it, it's forced. So let's say you want to get a new ministry going. Perhaps you feel inspired to start a Bible study at work. That's a good thing, right? Just 15 minutes or so over lunch, something like that. Well, great idea, but don't force it. Lay it before the Lord. Let him open the doors. Lord, did you inspire this thought in my mind? Show me how to do this. Show me the timing of this. Show me how this is gonna work. And if he's in it, It's remarkable how approval will be granted, how interest will grow, how the timing will fall right into place. I mean, it'll almost come together in spite of you. God's timing is so important. So back to our story. So Moses escapes for his life. God called him, who was to become the leader of his people, but now he's to spend the next 40 years in the humble work as a shepherd. Virtually overnight, Moses went from the palace to the pasture. Can you imagine? He is perhaps the most overqualified shepherd in all of history. I like what Spirit Prophecy tells us. The Ministry of Healing, the most valuable preparation for Moses' life work was that which he received while employed as a shepherd. It was in the pasture that he learned faith and meekness and patience and humility and self forgetfulness. Now, if you know the story of the children of Israel, he's going to need all those things in abundance. But you might scratch your head and think, but for 40 long years? Can he take a crash course? Go to driver's ed, something? But I believe God had his purpose and his way in those 40 years that he needed to prepare Moses. Was that his plan A? I don't know I don't seem to think it probably was but the good news is in God's grace he always has a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and as soon as we are ready to say you know what I'm tired of doing your will my way I want to do God's will God's way he says I can use that I can use that And so while God did not inspire, I don't believe, the murder of this Egyptian, I do believe God said, I'm going to use this time to work on my servant Moses for the next 40 years. Ministry of Healing 479, God never leads his children otherwise and they would choose to be led. If they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they were fulfilling as co-workers with him. If we could only see with a bigger perspective as God sees, we'd agree and we'd say, yes, I need that 40 years to learn patience, meekness, humbleness, self-forgetfulness. But the reality is at that moment, only God knew the challenges Moses would face. Is it true? Only God knew the depth of faith Moses would need. Only God knew the means the devil would use to try to malign his leader. And God's timing is perfect, always. And so it's at the burning bush that we see a change in character. You know the story. Moses sees a burning bush, but it's not being consumed. Well, this is unusual. And he goes over to check it out. I mean, there's nothing else to do out here. I mean, this is the biggest thing In years it's happened. And God calls him by name and says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Why? Because God's presence is there in an overwhelming way. And then we read what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's heard the cry of his people. And then in verse 10, we read, Come now, therefore, and I will send you. You notice who's sending this time? You notice whose idea it is this time? I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But verse 11, excuse number one, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God promises in verse 12, he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, who is his name? What shall I say to them? Doubt number two. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then we read in verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst and after that he will let you go. And verse 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But then Moses is still not convinced. Chapter four, verse one. And Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Now it's one thing to be humble. It's another one that's been made very plain. And you just don't want to go. But God is gracious. And so, God gives him three signs. The rod that will turn to a snake, a hand that becomes leprous and then is restored, and water from the Nile that will turn to blood. If they don't believe me, believe what you say, I will give you signs. And then verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord, you have the wrong man. Moses recognizes his weakness. He realizes the magnitude of the work appointed him. And to pull it off, God must be his counselor and his strength. And there has been a decided change in Moses. And humility is good. But now God has promised to be with him. And he is being sent in the name of Yahweh. I will work out all the details, God says. He gives him three physical signs and promises to give him the words. But again in verse 13... For the fifth time, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. He continues to shrink from God's call. Now it's not humility, but a lack of faith, a lack of trust. Do you ever have a lack of faith and trust in what God wants to do through you? Lord, I don't don't lack faith and trust of what you can do by your own power over there. But what if God says, I want my power to dwell in you. I want to use you. Oh, no, no, no. You can't use me. And he says, I can. I will. I want to. No, 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 no. And so we lack faith in what God longs to do and will do in and through us if we allow him. but I wanna be humble. Sure, be humble, it's only God that's gonna do it in the first place. But if he asks you to do something in faith, say, I don't know that I can do this on my strength, but if you're sure, I'll go. So verse 14, we're still in chapter four. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman." Men to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you should do the signs. Finally, Moses gets the hint and now in full faith and in full trust, he makes arrangements and leaves for Egypt. But if you haven't noticed, this time, God will be in control. This time, Moses will patiently wait for God's timing. This time, it will flow because God's in it. No manipulating, no lying, no pushing. No, this time, it will be God's will, God's way. And so, I ask you this morning where are you in this story? Maybe God has called you. You know what He wants you to do. But you're going impatient, things just aren't happening like you had planned and you're tempted to take matters into your own hands. Don't do it. You just wait patiently for the perfect timing of God. Don't be like Jacob with the birthright or Abraham with Hagar. Don't be like Moses with the Egyptian. Don't forfeit God's plan A for your life. Or, Maybe you've made some poor choices in your life. And now you feel like you are in the wilderness. And you've been there for some time. Maybe a long time. And you wrestle with feelings of abandonment and loneliness and shame. If so, don't be discouraged. Because God can take your poor choices And turn them into something beautiful for him. If you were here last week, you saw that firsthand, didn't you? I did. God can take the mess of our lives and turn into something beautiful for him. No matter our present condition, we serve a risen Savior who is powerful, who can change and transform us into his image for his honor and for his glory. And God doesn't save us to leave us in our sin, but God longs to save us from our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that he may be uplifted and glorified. And maybe you're thinking, well, how long does this take? I've been in the desert what seems like 40 years. You're in good company. God never leads his children otherwise and they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. I'm not saying God led you to make that poor decision, to, make, to take matters in your own hands. But if you surrender, if you let go and let God, God will begin a work in your life. And it may be difficult. It may be sometimes a painful process. But if you let him, he will change you and mold you and fashion you and lead you and guide you and prepare you for things that you would never dare dream for yourself. Some of you that have been around a while and jumped from job to job to job, and you've looked back and you've seen how God has orchestrated in your life and prepared you. And times that you felt like you were in the wilderness, you thank God for now because that wilderness experience prepares you for what you're facing today. Can I get an amen to that? Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely he does. So, you may feel like you're in the desert, in the pasture, not the palace, but that's where God prepared Moses for the great work of his life. Thirdly, you might be at the burning bush this morning, and God is asking you to do the impossible, and you're scared. You're fearful. You know yourself all too well that you don't possess the abilities, the skills, the talent required, yet the unrelenting call of God is not going away. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to trust in God. Take that first step toward Egypt, because God has promised to be with you, to never leave you nor forsake you, because God will equip you because He called you. I imagine if Moses were here this morning, he would just tell us plainly, God's will, my way doesn't work. Makes a mess of things, creates a host of problems. And I bet you he would tell us, you must surrender all. Why 40 years? Probably because he had to surrender all and be willing to follow God's will, God's way. Can you imagine what would have happened if Moses? Had not learned this lesson, had moved forward in his own strength. The only match for Pharaoh would have been an all out war with bloodshed and loss and casualties. At the Red Sea, only Olympic swimmers would have made it across. In the desert, they would have died of starvation and thirst. In that hot and barren land, They wouldn't have learned the beauty of the law or the salvation through the symbolism of the sanctuary. Virtually nothing would have worked with the people of God. And I propose to you, virtually nothing will work with God's people today if we are not surrendered to God's plan and God's will and God's time. Ultimately, God's ways and purposes would have been lost and His people would have been wiped out entirely. Without God, no one makes it to the promised land. And so with God today, God's will my way doesn't work. You don't force fit God's plan. Rather, you surrender to his plan. And you have to surrender all. And be willing to follow God's will and do it his way according to his time. You know, one of my favorite verses has always been Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do we trust that God has our best interest at heart? I remember years ago, I don't know exactly when it was, but it was some Pentagon briefing the day after some apparent attempt to take out Saddam and his top lieutenants and some precision strike, and the the reporters were just peppering Secretary Rumsfeld with all kinds of questions. Well, this isn't according to the war plan. And and does the war plan say, and we've been told that the war plan and this about the war plan and that about the war plan until finally Rumsfeld got a little bit fed up and he said, I beg your pardon, but I don't believe you have the war plan. Do we ever muddle with God that way? God, you're, you're not getting this right. You're late. You've missed it. What's going on? And if we listen, I can hear him quietly saying, David, be patient. I know the plans I have for you. Doesn't say you do. But if you stick with me, I will bring you through. Galatians 4:45. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Timing is so critical. It's so crucial. And when is the right time? Only God knows. Jesus himself recognized this when he was in the garden and he prayed, Father, please don't make me do this. Please. I beg of you. But not my will, but yours. Not my timing, but yours. I don't want to do God's will my way. I surrender all to you, God. And that prayer of Jesus must be our prayer this morning. Lord, I want to follow your will and do it your way. Not my timing, but your timing. Lord, help me surrender all to you. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive us for only surrendering what is easy, what is convenient, what seems to suit us. Lord, you call us to give you everything, to surrender all. And whether that means waiting in the desert for 40 years, or whether that means going where you've made it very plain and we're scared, Lord, we want to surrender all to you this morning that you may lead us and guide us according to your plan, that we can prosper and be happy and fulfilled and ultimately can be a tool in your hands that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons,